Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And it means choice. Off-farm investing, if you do it well, provides more choice for your family. So a lot of succession plans fail because people don't have enough off-farm assets to be able to fund the succession. Uh, drought mitigation. So when people get themselves into strife with droughts or other crises, if they don't have off-farm assets that they can lean on. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the Farms Vice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Vice and let's get into this episode. Welcome back for another cracking episode. On today's episode, speaking of, we've got the financial bloke. If you don't know him, he's Ben Law and actually I was invited on his podcast to go through my background, but he's given away some really good tips about financial wariness and how you can become a little bit better in the office. So for today's episode, we'll be talking off-farm investing and how his seven-step process is changing the game of how you look, how you structure and how you set up and really finding your why. Let's get into this episode. But before we get into this episode, I'll just let you know the information contained throughout this podcast is general in nature and for education purposes only. It is not financial or legal advice. No one should actually act on the information without appropriate specific advice for your particular circumstances. Ben is a former financial advisor but no longer licensed and cannot and will not give you specific personal advice in this podcast. Now, let's get into it. Ben Law, welcome to the Funds Advice Podcast. We had, I, you had me on your podcast. Um, it's good to get out there and speak to other podcasts, but also those working within the realms of agriculture and especially what your knowledge is, your experience of being a financial advisor and the work you're doing of getting some advice across your, um, your channel of Financial Bloke. Great to have you on the podcast yourself. Thanks, Jack. Really appreciate being here, mate. Um, it's a, it's one of those things that I'm all about education. So the more I can educate people, the the happier I'll be. Beautiful. And before we get started, what's the weather up where you are? Everyone loves to talk about the weather as being farmers. Um, you said earlier on you've had a lot of rain, but you're turning out quite dry at the moment. Yeah, it started to dry up here. We're in the southeast of Queensland at the moment. And I think we've had well over two metres of rain for the year, Jack, which is just unbelievable. And the first half of the year was very wet. But at the moment, we're actually a little on the dry side. And if I look out the window at the moment, there's absolutely not a cloud in the sky. And it's about 24 degrees at uh, nine o'clock in the morning. So it's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. I don't think we've had a 24 degrees down south here yet so we're pretty keen to get those temperatures up and get that soil to dry out a little bit a little bit like what you've got at the moment um but on the other end of that if anyone doesn't know who ben law is who you are can you just give us a little bit of an inlet into what your connection is to agriculture and what's your background 
Yeah, thanks, Jack. So um, I've got a little bit of an interesting background. I grew up on a cattle and, and cropping property in northwest New South Wales. Yeah. My dad is a third generation farmer. My uh, great grandfather served in the First World War, uh, was on the Western Front in the trenches. And when he came back, decided he wanted to be a farmer rather than doing what he was doing in the family. And he managed to buy a dairy farm. They dairy farmed until he passed away and then immigrated to Australia from England. And so I grew up on that property and I went off to uni and did an agricultural economics degree because I could see that, you know, my dad was on the farm or our family, my grandfather uh, and grandmother and also my uncle and there just wasn't room. So I had to go off and educate myself and find my own path. And my mum always said to me, Jack, when I was little, get a financial education, Ben, and don't be like us. And of course, being a young farm lad that loved the farm, I had no interest in education at all. And it's been a real turnaround now. I'm a lifelong learner. And so I did the ag economics degree, uh, went into banking, and it turns out that uh, working for a big corporation just didn't work for me. And then I fell into financial advice. Uh, and that was in uh, the late 90s. Um, so I'm showing my age now, Jack. And uh, I did that for five years, all my postgrad studies. So my diploma of financial planning became a certified uh, financial planner at that stage. And then I realized I didn't have enough gray hair. Uh, so we were predominantly dealing with retirees back in those days. And um, so I packed up and went to London, um, as people seem to do a lot of today, but not, not as much back then. And I worked for a hedge fund. So the, the, the farm boy went to uni and then got into financial advice and then worked for a hedge fund in London. And so I was working in a team that had uh, $37 billion under management. And I was the only Aussie in the firm. And I did that for about a year and decided that putting on a suit every day and having a career there wasn't for me. So I came back to Australia and, and got back into financial advice. Uh, and I spent overall 20 years in financial advice. And my specialization was uh, helping successful business owners and farmers and graziers. And of that 20 years, 10 years was growing my own practice. So I owned my own financial advice business. And we had a successful business. And so that was my tie back into the ag industry. And the reason I was really passionate and went into that, that niche, shall I say, was because of my background. Um, I had a unique background in the sense that I grew up on a property. I saw the issues and the problems that farming families dealt with firsthand. Um, I'm not a farmer or a grazier because of a failed or a poorly executed succession plan. And so I spent my whole time helping families so they didn't have to deal with that. And then unfortunately, Jack, as you know, my story, mate, I uh, was at the top of my game. Um, I had a highly successful business. And then in 2020, I had a fairly significant uh, health scare. I had a, a suspected heart attack. Uh, it turned out it wasn't, but I made a choice to exit the financial advice industry um, to reduce a bit of pressure on me and spend more time with the family. And I took, took 12 months off and then all of a sudden, um, you know, got the fire back in my belly. I'm bored now. What am I going to do? And I kicked off the podcast, The Financial Blokes Wealth and Wisdom. And I also strategically help a small number of families grow, protect and transition their wealth. So I'm no longer a financial advisor. So anyone that's listening, you know, whatever I say today is not advice because I'm a former financial advisor, but I help farming families problem solve the issues they've got. Beautiful. Well, I think that background is quite extensive and probably a flip on what I've done. I thought when I was 26, started this podcast, like if I've started when I'm 26, I don't really have all the knowledge now, but imagine what's happening when I'm 50 or so, but you've gone across through the industries overseas um, actually gone outside of your box, which is Australia, we're all quite domestic here, um, dealing with global markets and everything um, doesn't come all too often for every company. But having that knowledge and bringing that into a podcast, how has that played out for you? Um, probably the added authority as well. Yeah, it's been good, Jack. I mean, the, the big issue for me is, is there's a lot of information in my head that I want to get out to people. I want to be able to share because I spent 20 years working out what works. So you know, sorting out the wheat from the chaff, but I also am a lifelong learner. And so I am interviewing a lot of people that have better knowledge than me to improve my knowledge. So I'm 45 now. I've got 20 years under my belt. I've still got another 20 to 25 years left. And I think the same as you. Imagine what I know now. Imagine what I'll know in another 20 years. And so the podcast is about education. So I want to educate Australia. And I also want to learn myself. So it's a, it's a, uh, not a double-edged sword, but it's a, a double benefit. Yeah, beautiful. And that lifelong learning just will progress wherever, whatever sort of stage you are in learning as a farmer. Um, maybe I take some 
elements out of what you've done in your background and put it into what they've done. And hopefully this is what the podcast is all about, passing on that farm's advice to the next person within this generation, but also those younger generations to build up that generation and also that generational wealth, which we'll talk a little bit on to today. Beautiful. So let's get into today's topic of choice. We're going to be talking about off-farm investments, a bit of the processes that Ben's put in place previously, um, and a bit of the, the way he lives by for off-farm investments, how it can work for different people across Australia. But likewise, Ben and I don't know your own personal scenario, so don't take this as advice. Go approach your professionals within your realm, your financial advisor, your accountant, or your banker as well. So Ben, kick it off. What's off-farm investment for you and others that you've dealt with? Yeah, well, I think I, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question, Jack, and I thought hard about it. And I think my, my well, what does off-farm investing, investing mean to me? And it means choice. Off-farm investing, if you do it well, provides more choice for your family. So a lot of succession plans fail because people don't have enough off-farm assets to be able to fund the succession. Uh, drought mitigation. So when people get themselves into strife with droughts or other crises, if they don't have off-farm assets that they can lean on, uh, it doesn't give them the choice. And also for some families, it's about uh, estate equalization. So being able to have an off, enough off-farm assets to be able to cut, pass on custodial ownership of the farming business or the farming land to one or a couple of the children, and then other assets to the others so that there's some sort of equality there. Um, is what a lot of people are after. So I think if you successfully off-farm invest, it just gives you far more choice. Now, there's a couple of ways you can go, oh, sorry, there's multiple ways you can go about it, Jack, but essentially there's only two main categories, essentially, is there's you know shares or property. That's the two major, major asset classes that we're talking about. And so that's what most people fall into. And a lot of farmers generally fall into buying property. And the reason is because their largest asset is the farm and it's property and they feel comfortable with it, whereas shares are more ethereal. It's not something you can touch. You can't drive into town and have a look at your share portfolio, but you can drive into town and have a look at the investment property you've got, et cetera. So that's my thoughts on, on off-farm investments. A great way to put it. And probably the more we progress through society or whatever, we're always looking for more and increased options um, to choose from. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, we probably had minimal options out there because we've moved to an online sort of centric um, agriculture and where we're putting investments as well and where we can access these investments as well. So let's get into it. You've got a seven-step process to off-farm investing and how that might end you to towards your ideal outcome, whether you're a family farm of four people, mixed generation, sixth generation, or just first generation, how we can get into off-farm investing. What's the very first step that we get into? Well, if you just just go back just a little bit there, Jack, if I can, mate, is um, why do I have a seven steps? Well, I've spent 20 years trying to work out what works and what doesn't work. And I continually used to get people come in to see me and they'd say, and they were mostly farming families, and some of them were really, really smart operators. And they'd say, we've had a go at off-farm investing, but you know, that investment property was a dud or my shares, shares just aren't for me. And they'd failed in multiple times. And I'd also seen a whole lot of people go to financial advisors and they come to me and they say, oh, I saw a financial advisor once before and, you know, it just didn't work out for me. And it's got me thinking, well, I've been doing it for 20 years. It just seems simple to me. It seems really basically simple how to do it. And again, I totally acknowledge the fact that when you've done something for 20,000 hours, you're probably an expert. But I started thinking, well, what's missing? And I sat down one day with a pen and paper, Jack, and I started writing the steps down. And I came up with seven. And I looked at it and went, that makes sense. They're the seven steps you got to follow. And then I showed clients, I showed financial advisors, I showed accountants, lawyers, bankers. And I went around and I said, these are the steps I follow. Does this make sense? And everyone went, yeah, it does. That makes perfect sense. And then I went back and looked at all the people that I'd helped over time and gone, well, oh, shares didn't work for me, property didn't work for me, or I had a bad advisor. And I looked and I went, well, you've missed one of the key steps. You know, you've, you've done this in the wrong order. And so I figured, well, this is what works. And then I started teaching financial advisors and I teach all my clients what these were. Now, um, what the seven steps are is a process that you can either follow yourself 
And each step, you're probably going to have to get some advice from someone. Now, that might be a, a broker, an advise, a financial advisor. It could be a you know, real estate agent. It could be your accountant. It could be a lawyer. There's going to be parts or times that you're going to need advice. But ostensibly, you've got two ways to do this. You could take the seven steps away and do it yourself. Or if you've already got someone going to give you advice, know these steps to make sure they're doing their damn job and make sure you understand, or at least educate yourself. So when you do go see an advisor or a broker or an agent or an accountant, you know the steps you should be following. Take control of your own. Now, the first step is the most important of all of this, Jack, and that's start with your why. And so people go normally say, well, what's my why? And I said, well, the why is the reason you're doing it. And you have to have an incredibly strong reason to do it. Otherwise, you're not going to invest the time. And the first roadblock you hit, you're going to throw your hands up in the air and say, you know, off-farm investing is not for me. Um, I'm out. It's too hard. And farmers are really good at this because farmers have an incredibly strong why for being rural producers, don't they? I mean, how, you know, you take the average city folk and you say to them, hey, you know, farmers do what they do. And they look at me and they go, farmers are mad. You know, they, they, they have all this money tied up in a farming asset. They get all this debt. They're dealing with the weather, pest. They're dealing with government regulation, commodity prices. Why the bloody hell would a farmer be a farmer? Why wouldn't they just sell everything, invest the money and live on the beach and drink, you know, lattes? It's because they've got a really strong why. They love it. And you've got to find a strong why for doing this. Now, the reasons you could have, Jack, are things like um, drought mitigation. You know, we're all going to go through droughts again, so we need to be putting, you know, making hay while the sun shines, building those off-farm assets to diversify. It could be succession. You know, we want to hand on a viable farming operation to the next generation, so we've got to put away for our retirement so we, we can actually hand on a viable farm. And the other one might happen to be is that estate equalization. We want to build our off-farm assets so that we've got enough for our retirement so we're secure, but we can also leave to our off-farm children an asset or a, some sort of um, bequest when we pass away. And I always say, Jack, if you don't bloody have a good why, find one. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. That's step one. Yeah, I think so. What about when farmers have approached, come up to that first sort of step, um, within looking off for their off-farm investment, have they been a little startled by trying to come up with their why? I think so. I, I think that's the, the major reason why most fail is because they don't have a why. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I used to spend, and this is what used to shock people when I did financial advice, is I used to spend a lot of time trying to work out why the hell are we doing this? Yeah. Because when you'd hit a GFC, global financial crisis, or share markets would crash, or the property market would go down, you had to have a strong why. So I needed to make sure I understood that. And not many advisors actually dig into that why, but you've got to find it out. Don't go any further until you've worked that out. Well, the Farms Advice podcast is what one of the, the whys is. So the, the fact is that 20% of Australian farms can own, can actually retire without having money coming out of the farm. So this, this is coming off the back of off-farm investments, investing in the appropriate sort of areas that's suited to that personal farmer, their own scenario. Um, and then looking at that, that seems amazing. 20% can do that. But on the back end of that, we've got 80% that will need to derive income from the farm as they're retiring um, just to maybe put food on the table or be in a comfortable position as such. Um, that's our why of trying to improve that gap, trying to get that down or even up um, for the farmers out there, not really looking towards these off-farm investments and actually finding their why. So it's a big part of it also. It is. And I can tell you right now, after 20 years of doing this, uh, it is a massive contributor to why succession plans fail. And so I spend an inordinate amount of time with families who were in their, say, 30s to in their 40s, saying we need to start building that off-farm wealth if you want a succession plan to work. Um, I'm not saying succession plans can't work without them, but it makes it a, a whole lot bloody harder. Absolutely. And probably to get everyone on board on that why, probably there's an instigator there, but off-farm investment probably includes the whole family um, because it's going to be setting up their sort of generational wealth um, and everyone knowing your why. Is that easily communicated, do you think, or is a bit of a breakdown there from person to person? Well, I communicate it because I use something called when-then when it comes to succession. So if I'm talking to the younger generation, I always say, 
when this happens, then you can succeed on the farm or you can succession plan the farm. And one of those is mum and dad have to retire and mum and dad have to be financially secure because once they're older, they can't afford to take the risk. And so if I've got someone that's, you know, say 20 to 25 or even 25 to 30 said, our goal here is we've got to build enough off-farm assets so we can retire mum and dad. If we don't do that, um, you've, you're going to be pushing shit uphill. And so, yes, it's a very important part. And unfortunately, in a lot of families, the parents focus on it, but the next generation don't. And so if I was sitting on a farm now and I was 25 to 30, I'd be saying to my parents, right, what are we going to do to be able to build your off-farm assets so that you can go and financially retire and we can get our go at growing this business? Yeah, I think that's probably a big one, especially when we're going to see the largest asset transfer um, from baby boomers to probably my generation. Um, both above and below me. So it'd be not necessarily exciting to see, but it'd be interesting to see what that sort of shift will bring across with that. Um, but also moving into the next stage of what this is, you've discovered your why as a farming family, your why of off-farm investment, why you want to do it. What's the next step? Well, the next step, Jack, is to know your target. So know what you're trying to get to. Um, so for example, if it was say you, Jack, and yep. you said, look, mum and dad are going to retire in another, let's just say, 15 years. Well, you need to do the analysis and go, okay, well, if we're going to build off-farm assets, because it's a family farming project, this, it's not mum and dad's project, it should be the whole family, is what's the target? So let's say mum and dad want to retire in 15 years, they want to move off-farm, they want to have X amount of dollars a year. You need to work out, well, what's the number we need then? And if it's a half a million dollars, a million dollars, $2 million, $5 million, whatever that number is, you need to know that now and adjust it for inflation. And then you need to do what I call a gap analysis, which basically says, if you need a million dollars in 10 years time, how much do we need to be taking out of the farming business and investing off farm so that when we get to 10 years from now or 15 years from now, we've got the amount. Now, for some people, the closer you get to retirement, the bigger that number is. Because if you've got to have a million dollars and you've got five years, that's a lot of money you've got to drag out. Um, and so you might look at it and say, okay, well, we've got to pull $50,000 a year out of the farm or $100,000 a year. And you say, look, we just can't do that. Well, it's better to get to retirement age and have half of the money your mum and dad need than none. And so you need to know that gap. And what I found with people is once you work out the gap and you say, look, your gap is 50 grand a year, and say, well, look, we can put 20 grand a year off farm. Well, we've got a gap. And then each year we go back and say, well, can we top that up? Can we get up to 50 this year? And you'd be surprised over time, but you've got to know your target. Now that's a succession thing. For other people, it might be just, um, we want to generate um, some drought mitigation. And so to do that, we'd like a couple of hundred grand off farm and we'd like to invest it. And so, okay, well, know your numbers and know what that number you want to actually get to. And that's step number two. So knowing your target and where your target will be, would it be more sort of working towards a percentage or a figure value? What's sort of more beneficial in the way that you've sort of worked it before? Figure value. Yeah, right. Instead of like, what about taking in fluctuations throughout the years, go for a bad year to a good year? Would you sort of be looking to invest um, the same amount each time? Um, look, so as a financial advisor, when I was doing that, I would always advocate for sticking to the plan. So if we said we were going to put 50 grand a year away or $5,000 a year away, rain, hail or shine, we'd try and do that. Now I acknowledge there's going to be years where you can't. I, I totally get that. But a lot of people give up too early. And so they go, oh, it's going to be a tight year. We better not do it. My, my idea is get it done. Try and do it every year. And the way to avoid that, Jack, is... A big mistake I see people make is they say, I'm going to invest $20,000 a year. They get to June, they do their tax planning with their accountant, and then they go, oh, we need to put 20 grand away. And they're like, oh, there's not 20 grand floating around. We're going to have to pull it out of the overdraft or I've got to fix the truck um, and spend 20 grand on it. It's never there. So I say, do it every month. So if it's, let's make my maths easy, $24,000 a year, Two grand a month, you need to be investing off farm or taking out of the farming business so it happens and it's just like a machinery payment. And you'd be surprised over the years, Jack, when I used to do this, is I, I used to be a bit sneaky with my clients and as soon as the machinery payment would come off, so tractors paid off or a silo or a truck, I'd go, excellent, you've now got $5,000 a month, you're paying that off or 20000 a quarter. Um, 
I want some of that to start investing off farm. And they go, oh, okay, fair enough. We can do that now because they've proved that they can pay it. And so you've got to, got to make it monthly or quarterly because if it's a lump sum, I guarantee you people will just never do it. I would fight with people every year as their advisor. And when I say fight, um, I'd advocate for their future self. And I'd say, you know, we said we'd put 20 grand a year away and it'd be June and they'd be like, oh yeah, but I'd probably only feel comfortable, Ben, with 10. And in the end, I'd say, right, that's it. When This is never happening again. We're putting $2,000 a month over into a bank account. And when it gets to 30 June, we're going to pop that whole lot in. And as soon as we started doing that, people just stuck with it. It was amazing. Beautiful. And yeah, probably just one of those sort of conversations you need to open up on that target and see where it might get you. Everyone's sort of target will be a little different too, I'd imagine. And just making sure you stick to that um, to meet your goals at the end of that term. Um, so we know our why, our target, what's the next step process? So, that, so the next way, one, Jack, is to know your capacity, okay, and then prove it. And what I mean by that is if you want to successfully off-farm invest, you can't just take a lump sum, invest it, walk away, come back in 10 years and says, oh, how are my off-farm investments working? So let me give you an analogy. City, city fella comes out, buys a farm next door to Jack, and let's say he's got um, cattle on it. And he comes out, he puts... 100, 100 cows on there, chucks a couple of bulls out with them and then comes back 10 years later and say, this farming gig is a waste of time. I, I don't have any cows left. They've all died or I've got no calves. You would never, ever do that. It's the same with off-farm investing. You know, you've got to invest an appropriate amount of time and you've got to be able to invest into it. So you need to work out how much can I put each year into that investment to either pay down the debt so if you've gone and bought a, say, a commercial property or an investment property and you've borrowed half a million or a million, how much am I going to try and pay off every year and set that? If it's into shares or share-based investments, if it's $1,000 a month, if it's $20,000 a year, $100,000 a year, doesn't matter. You need to work that number out. And do you know I had a really technical way of doing that, Jack, when I was a financial advisor? I'd say to people, if you were going to put $1,000 a month away, could you do that? And they'd either go, yeah, Ben, we could do a thousand. And I go, okay, well, could you do two thousand? They go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, maybe. And then you say, what about three thousand? And so I'd try and get them to the point where they felt comfortable, but not too uncomfortable. And we'd start there. And then we'd start making that money go across and get invested. And then each year, you want to increase it. Okay, so increase it, increase it um, as much as you possibly can until it starts to become meaningful. And, you know, it was surprising. I, I can think of a you know one example of many, but one where a client came in and they had a, a $2,000 to invest and $100 a month because they were real nervous Nellies. And after eight years, and, and they, they would ring me once every six weeks and say, Ben, how's my $2,000? Have you packed up and gone to Mallorca with my money? Has someone stolen it? But after a period of time, they got comfortable and they were doing, um, I think when I sold my practice, something, somewhere around $8,000 a month was going off farm into off farm investments. And they weren't big operations. They were just, it was just going across. So you need to know what your capacity is. And for you, it might be 100 now, $100 a month. Start there, okay? And then increase it. Now, if you don't know where to invest, I always tell people, go and open a bank account. Call it your off farm investment bank account. Just a plain old bank account. And if you say, look, I could put 10 grand in and $100 a month, take 10 grand out of the farming business, put into that bank account, and then put $100 direct debit across every month and start it. And as soon as you've done that, you're actually off farm investing because you've allocated some money to that investment and you're transferring regularly into it. And just on there, Jack, is if you don't do the regular investment, you're absolutely wasting your time. You have to do a regular investment. I, I can't stress that enough. And then the last point on this too, Jack, just before I go is um, you also have to allocate time. Yeah. It has to, you have to allocate time. Is that, uh, am I going to review it every six months, every quarter, every year? You have to add, add, allocate an appropriate amount of time to manage it. And I mean, manage the assets or review the asset, the performance, the risk profile, and then also how much am I adding? And so as a financial advisor, I used to jokingly say, hey, Jack, I've got a little sharp stick. Every year you come in and say, Jack, you're putting $500 um, a year into your invest or a month into your investments. I've got this little sharp stick. I'm going to give you a poke with it. How much can we do this year? Yeah. Now, and I had a son, um, a son of one of my clients, and he came to see me when he was 19. And mum and dad said, we need him to start investing. 
And I think we threw $5,000 in and it was something like $200 a, a month. It wasn't a huge amount of money. And over time, he increased it and he added some to it. And he rang me eight years later and he said, I've never really, he just got married. And he said, I never really took too much notice of my investments, but there's like 70 grand in there. And he hadn't even noticed that regular amount coming out of his bank account going into his investments, but it was set and it was structured and it just happened. Well, the earlier you started, the more it sort of snowballs and good old Warren Buffett for starting that off for everyone. Um, that's not snowball effect. Probably the earlier you start, the better it's going to be in the long run, whether you're investing for yourself through shares or ETFs or whatnot, um, but especially coming off as farmers. But just be, like as we touched on capacity there, but with your example, as they built up from 200, the, the nervous Nellies, um, and they went to 8,000, how, as farmers, how can we be more comfortable? Obviously, for those, it's a bit more second nature to invest for our future. But for those, how can we make ourselves more comfortable in this process of investing? So it's all about education and time, uh, Jack. So uh, the the next step in this in the process, which probably this leads in really well, is to number four, which is understand your risk tolerance. Now, there's something that farmers always say to me, Jack, and they would walk into my office and I'd say, okay, so are you risk takers or not? And without a doubt, they'd look at me and they'd go, Ben, we're farmers, we're conservative, we don't take risks. And then, then I'd sort of laugh out loud, fall off my chair, roll around on the floor laughing and saying, that's the, that's, I've heard that a thousand times and it couldn't be further from the truth. Rural producers are the most risk tolerant people I know. And if you talk to the average city folk, they say, well, for example, a cotton farmer, a cotton farmer will go out and put a million dollars worth of seed in the ground, throw a bit of water on it and hope it grows. <laughs> um, no city folk would do that. Now, the thing is for, for rural producers, what I found is, is they're very risk tolerant once they understand it. Okay, so that's a really important point. So what I'd find is the nervous Nelly would come in and, I, and that example I gave you, Jack, they are, are very much what I would say would never never be confident in investing. It's just a time thing. So they started small, got confident, increased a little bit more, got a little bit more confident. And then they rode through a GFC with me. So we went through the ups and we went through the downs and then they understood how it worked. And that that gave them the, the tolerance to be able to actually do that. But I spent a lot of time educating and making them understand that when markets go down or investments go down, that's actually a good thing. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, it's a great buying opportunity. And do you think it would be, um, it's not necessarily about time in the market, but time in the market, as that quote goes, unknown resource there? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and, and it's funny, I, I had a client, um, I did some maths for once, and the markets went skyrocketing and then dropped off a cliff and then went up again and, and off they went. And we did the maths and they sat on the sideline for four years waiting for the market to correct. And then when the market dropped, they invested. And I actually did the maths and they would have been better off if they'd started investing four years before. Yeah. Because they had four years in the market and yet it corrected. So yeah, definitely time in the market always beats timing. You'll never time the market. I mean, I've timed the market myself personally once. And it was just luck. Um, the statistics show that 85% of the world's best investors um, don't outperform the, the market. So trying to time it is an absolute fool's errand. You'll never get it right. Yes, absolute nightmare. And also it's interesting to see what farmers' risk tolerance is. It changes with each farm as it goes, but also probably comes back to their mindset and the way they sort of approach things as well. It is, but it's more about, so, so the way I talk about risk is there's risk of doing something and there's risk of doing nothing. Yeah. Okay. So doing nothing, the risk is, is you don't have a succession plan potentially. Um, you don't have any drought mitigation. You leave your money in the bank rather than investing it. Inflation's eating it away. Within five years, you've lost half the value of your money. Um, and then there's risks of doing something. What we have to get our head around is what risk are we willing to take? So for example, that nervous Nelly that I mentioned invests $2,000 and if they lose $2,000 in the big scheme of things, who cares? But if you go borrow $2 million to invest and leverage into a market and then lose that, you could potentially lose the farm. Yeah. Okay. So it's working out what risk you're taking on. What's the downside of this? And so risk is good, 
but you've just got to understand it. And the other thing is, is a risk that can be bad is in the sense is, let's say you went and bought a commercial premises and you borrowed $2 million to do it. What happens if you lose your tenant and then you've got to prop up that asset? What happens if you go through a screaming drought, you can't sell that or you've got no income coming in? Or what if the neighbor's block comes up for sale and you've got $2 million out the door to buy the commercial premises and the bank says, sorry, we can't lend you the money to buy the neighbor's block and you miss out? So, so it's, you've just got to find out where your risk tolerance is and it will change over time, but you've got to make sure you don't invest in what I call uh, race five horse number two. You know, you don't, you don't want to be investing in highly speculative assets. And so one of the themes that I had in my business was I said, there's Land Cruiser investing and then there's Ferrari investing. Okay. Really simple. I'm a Land Cruiser investor. Solid, stable, dependable, reliable. Yeah, there's risks. Things are going to go not necessarily right all the time. And then there's Ferrari investing. And some people love Ferrari investing. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's you know the, the thrill of the chase. The markets go up. The markets go down. They're trying to time things. I was never about that sort of investing. Now, my advice to most people, is, unless you've got a high tolerance for risk and you're going to be actively involved, you want to have that solid, dependable, reliable investment that'll work for you. And that can be worked out very, very easily. It doesn't have to be complicated. And a lot of the times, Jack, those Ferrari types investments are smoke and mirrors and highly complicated. And it's like a piece of farm machinery. The more complicated it is, the more the bloody things break. And so probably in the initial stages, you don't want to overexert yourself. Um, you don't want to go and borrow 2 million, go straight into commercial um, and overdo your sort of capacity in this or farm investing. Well, for some people it might suit, Jack, it could. But my advice to people is, is when you're getting started is, you know, dip your toes in the water, have a go. Don't take five years to dip your toes in the water because time disappears quickly. But yeah, dip your toes in, get to understand if you're using a financial advisor, you know, get to know them, do a little bit of investing with them, have a plan in place, test out whether they're good, bad or indifferent if that's for you. I mean, a prime example is, Jack, I'd see a lot of younger investors that would come in and see me off the land and they'd say, look, we're smart, we're driven, we went to uni, we're going to be trading options, we're going to do currency trading, we're buying and selling in shares. And they're super excited. And I did that myself. So I'm going to tell you a little quick story. When I first got out of uni, I had $4,000 in the bank, which for most of my mates was a lot of money because everyone blew it at uni. And I made that working on cotton farms, chipping, shifting siphons, spraying cotton, long, hard work. I found I it was in 2000 and then the, the tech boom was on. And there was this lovely, lovely investment fund called the Time Fund, Tech, Information, Media and Entertainment. And anything to do with tech, people were just throwing money at it. And this fund made a 100% return in a year. And so 23-year-old Ben got all excited and went, wow, do you know how much work I had to do for $4,000? And I thought, if in 12 months' time, there'll be 8,000. And then in two years' time, there'll be 16. Like, this is just fantastic. Everyone said, Ben, diversify, high risk, don't do it. Of course, 23-year-old Ben was gone. What are these old fuddy-duddies? No, threw it in there. 12 months later, pulled out 400 bucks. Never recovered. And so that was the greatest lesson in the world for me. I lost that 400, which was technically most of my life savings back then. And, but it was the best lesson I ever got. So I could afford to do that at 23 and lose my life savings at 50, 40, 50, 55. You can't afford to do that. You're not going to recover. So you got to be sensible with what you do with your investments. But the younger generation, have a go at things. But call it, are you willing to spend all your weekends buying and selling and trading and trying to work this stuff out or you're better off honing your skills on the farm or spending time with your mates? Yeah, exactly. And I've probably got my own story of that. Um, investing when I was 18, um, going pretty, what I thought was heavy on a specky mining um, share, thinking it's two cents, it's going to go to $20. Um, and thinking, it, and looking back now, if I put that money like in an index or ETF or something, I'd probably be looking at 40 grand now because like 10 years, it seems like it was yesterday, but 10 years has gone by. I um, mean, that annual growth of 10% or whatever and how you look at it. Um, and also those contributions that you would have made on the back end of that. But that's not the case. And it was one of my sort of early learning stories with investing. I don't know if it was off farm then being so young um, as a person in agriculture, but it's just a great way to start and probably knowing where your risk tolerance is, diversify your assets a little bit more uh, is what I can say. But they're good lessons though, Jack. So here's the thing. 
sometimes we need those tough lessons when we're younger so that we learn and don't forget. I'll never forget that. Like that embarrassed the bejeebas out of me. I was, I was, I'd work my guts out for that money. A lot of hours at, I think I was on $12 an hour or something like that. So you can imagine the maths on how long it took. I was a trainee financial advisor. So I was no dum dumb and my ego took an absolute pummeling and it took me 10 years to tell anyone about it. I was so embarrassed, but mate, it made me a very good financial advisor because I said that will never happen to my clients. That'll never happen. And whereas I saw so many people come and see me, that it had advisors that hadn't been through that themselves, invested them in crappy investments, and they lost a lot of money. Is that when you sort of become the land cruiser investor, you think? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Because when I started uh, financial advice, the reality is, is the industry was, was new and it was complicated. So advisors would try and make things complicated to make them look smart. And so their philosophy was, we have all these wonderful complexities and you need to pay us to look after it. And I was, I was a little bit different to everyone else in the sense that I went, the more moving parts, the more stuff that can break. How do we break it down and make it simple? And I just spent year after year after year just trying to refine it and find out what worked. And I did. And I worked out what the simple strategy, the Land Cruiser strategy was to help people grow, protect, and then transition their wealth. And I'd see people come in for years and they'd have these complicated, convoluted messes from financial advisors. And I'd just strip it right back to the beginning dump them in a land cruiser type investment and off we go and we'd never look back. And I think simplification is really, really important. And you've got to be careful that to make sure that you understand what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And a great way to sort of set yourself up and your family farming business as well for as even if the new generation comes through, a great way to do it. I was going to bring this up before um, about how you sort of set these up, how you set your structure up, your ownership up of of farm investment how do those sort of intricate sort of work within the realm of off-farm investing um it's great to have i'm going to go out and buy fifty thousand dollars worth of shares um 100 grand worth of commercial property how does this actually work how are we structuring or what are the options to structure so i think you did a podcast a while ago jack with uh i think it was byfields wasn't it around um it was around ownership or trust companies and entities so step number five is you want to determine what you call your structure or your ownership so a structure is just a legal entity to hold the asset and there's multiple ways you can do it you can hold it hone it sorry i'm getting my words mixed up uh you can own it in your own name so yep. that's in Jack's name. You could own it in partnership with someone. So yourself and your partner. Um, you could own it in a company. So Jack's Jack's company, Proprietary Limited. You yep. could have a trust. So Jack's family trust, Proprietary Limited. Or you could even invest it into superannuation. And so what, superannuation is just another tax structure. And you can use something like a what you call a retail or an industry fund, or you could have your own self-managed super fund. So you need to work out where that asset's going to go. And there's a number of reasons for that is the first one is, is it's very hard to unwind that later on. Okay. So a lot of people would come to me and they'd say, look, we've invested in our own name and for asset protection purposes, we need it to be in a company or a trust, or they go and invest it in the trading entity. So you've got the farm and you're trading as, you know, Jack's farming business proprietary limited, and then you go invest in that asset. And so that's, a, that's a, a problem that you should get advice on because that's an asset protection issue. Um, and so what happens for a lot of families is you generally want to find the best structure for you. Now, if it's a small amount of money, you might make it really simple and just have it in your own name, but you need to speak to your accountant or your lawyer to make sure it's the right ownership. Um, and a property is a really great one is the accountant will get a call five minutes, minutes after someone's just said, hey, I'm at the Sunshine Coast on holidays, I just went to an auction and I think I bought a unit. And the accountant goes, oh dear, we didn't know about that. What name did you put it in? They goes, oh, I just whacked that in my name or I just whacked it in the company name. You can't unwind that stuff. And if you do, you've got to transfer assets. So you really want to know what structure you're investing in um, from your accountant or from your lawyer because there's asset protection and there's also tax implications. You know, 20, 30 years from time from now, you need to be knowing what the capital gains tax implications will be, et cetera. And probably get, getting to know that first off and setting those accounts up, um, however it may be for your own scenario. How, or in your experience, how many actually know about these different structures or like previously working with clients, first off, 
before getting to talk to you as a previous financial advisor? Did they just sort of think, I'll put it in my name and then worry about after? Or people were progressed a fair bit and they've got their structures here, they're this entity, that trust. How's that worked? It depends on their accountant. So if they've got a close relationship with their accountant and they understand the importance of getting advice to do things right, they generally speak to their accountant five minutes before they buy the property, not five minutes after. I think that's the reality. But the vast majority don't understand the structures because they're complicated. There's, you know, some families have multiple entities, trusts, companies, and a myriad of different options. um, And they don't ask their accountant and then make mistakes. So I think it's about... If, if you don't know, find out before you take any action. I think it's really, really important. But yeah, def- definitely people just don't know, Jack, because it's complicated and it's stuff that you don't normally deal with. Yeah, probably more so from the professionals as well, more than your Google landscapes or finding out what sort of professional advice would be good for you. Um, and moving that along with your sort of, once you've got your risk tolerance, your right structure and ownership in place and you know where or what entity is going to go into, how do we determine what the investment is going to be for us? What's the best sort of investment um, scenarios out there and how does that play out? Yep. So that's that's step six, which is determine the best investment option for you. Now, from my point of view, I have no, no strong opinion on whether you should buy property, shares, you should trade direct shares or have managed funds or buy a commercial property versus a residential or a property trust. You just got to figure out what works for you. Now, if you've got a big lump sum to invest, um, diversification is always key. So you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket if you can help it. But if you wake up one day and you decide property is the right property for you, you need to go get advice on what the right property is to buy. Now, for commercial properties, generally you need a big lick of cash or you got to borrow a big lick of cash. And I did a did a um, podcast with a commercial real estate agent And in most cases, you're looking at over a million dollars to buy commercial premises. And so you've got usually one tenant, so a fair bit of risk there if you lose that tenant. And so you need to know if that works. If if you've got a small amount of money to invest, so you said, look, I've got $10,000 or $50,000 to invest and I can put $1,000 a month away, that can actually, um, shares may be better for you at that stage rather than borrowing money. And I normally say to people, are you willing to borrow more money to do off-farm investing? And if the answer is, yep, we're willing to borrow and go and do it, well, then you can look at property. If you say, look, I'm not willing to borrow, generally, you know, the share type investments that are more liquid are generally a better option for people at that stage. And then you've got to work out, well, how much do I want to be involved? So for example, if you've got a share portfolio, do you want to buy and sell and trade? So how much time are you willing to invest? And that's where a lot of people get caught. They say, right, I want to deal in direct shares. So I want to buy BHP, Rio Tinto. I want to buy Tesla. I want to buy Apple. And they want to buy and sell. That takes a lot of time, okay? A lot of time. And very few people can allocate the time and the expertise to it. If you can, have at it. Um, Then the other option is, is you can go into something like a managed fund. And a managed fund is essentially where you put the money in um, and then someone manages it on your behalf. And you can do that direct through an investment house or a financial advisor, or you can do what you mentioned before, which is an ETF, which is an exchange traded fund, which is on the stock market. And the example I give people is think about your, let's, let's use an example of say a cattle property. You can either have a breeder herd that you run, or you could have trade cattle. And think about that. So a breeder herd is more like a managed fund that you just buy and hold. Okay, and then you, you, you breed off it or a trading, trading herd where you're buying and selling steers and heifers and trading them through. Well, that's more like share trading. You know, you're buying and selling. The second thing is, is that you know, whether you use a shares or a managed fund is a bit like having a, a farm. Let's say you bought another farm. You could either manage it yourself or you could pay a farm manager to do it. Okay, same with the managed fund. That's essentially what the managed fund is. You give, you put the farm manager on the farm and say, there you go, sunshine. Um, he or she has control over that farm. Here's my guidance of what I want you to do. You're responsible for that. And I pay you a wage or a salary to do that. Same with the managed fund. You put the money in that, you pick the sort of fund you want to be in, and then the professional managers charge a fee and they actually do that. And within those managed funds, you can have different levels of risk. So you can have really risky, aggressive funds that are sector specific with gearing or borrowing inside them. And then you can get the plotters or the, the, that are very low risk and, and less volatile. And so you just got to work out which way. So for me, 
I've worked in a hedge fund. I understand property. I have property investments. I'm, I love managed funds, basic managed funds. And the reason is, is I feel comfortable with them. I'd rather have someone else managing that money that I watch them and make sure they're doing a good job rather than spending every morning watching the stock market. I'd rather go and see my mates, build my business and spend time with my daughter. So you got to find out which one is for you. But I'd start with Jack is just saying, do you want to borrow or do you not? And if you don't want to borrow money, be honest about it. And that rules out to start with buying property. Now, just one small caveat is that doesn't stop you forever. So I'd see a lot of people where they'd start in shares, build up a share portfolio, get a deposit on a property and say, right, we're now ready to borrow some money. We'll sell those shares and buy the property. So there's an evolution, shall we say. But that's what you've got to work out next is what works for you. And just be really, really careful. Just because you grew up on a farm or you own a farm and you feel comfortable with property, properties, like just because you feel comfortable with it, it may not be the right one for you or the strategic plan for the family. It's also diversifying, isn't it? And especially mm. we won't overcomplicate it with succession, but if you have off-farm children and you have off-farm assets, investments, later on in life, that might be a good way to work out your succession and how that may play out. Um, but going by what you've said, there's options, but there's also options within the options. So these managed funds, um, but also maybe looking at active and passive. Is that something that you've looked into um, for clients in the past and how have active and passive or even do you want to sort of explain what that is? Yep. So when you have a, a an investment portfolio or let's just say it's a managed fund to make it really clear, just yep. a managed fund, as you said, there's absolute unending choice on different sorts of funds. You can have sector specific, you can have diversified, you can have Europe funds, American funds, you can have developing market funds, hedge funds, unhedge funds, it's just unending. But essentially, if you break it down simplicity, simply, you've got an active fund and a passive fund. So a passive fund essentially buys the index. So if you watch the TV of a nighttime and you say the, saw the ASX or the Dow Jones went up 5%, down 5%, that's the index. So it's a measure of all the shares. And you can buy a fund or invest into a fund that replicates that index. So you can go in and you can say, right, I, I want to invest in Australian shares. That's the Australian shares index. I can invest into that. That's what we call a passive fund. Money goes in, it's a buy and a hold. There's no one trading. An active fund is essentially fund managers are sitting in there and they buy and sell and trade. So they think BHP is a good buy. They sell it. Sorry, they buy it. It goes up, they sell it. They go buy another share, which they think is a good buy and they trade all the time. And the difference between the two is price. So an active fund is far more expensive than a passive fund. And that adds up over time. Now, everyone has their own opinion. Me personally, where Ben Law invests, and this is not advice to anyone out there, but where Ben Law invests in passive funds. Okay. The reason is it's simple. It's a simple strategy. And the research shows over the last 20 years or every 20 years, the research comes out that 85% of the world's fund managers active don't outperform the index after fees. And so for me, I go, well, it's tried, tested and true. I'm totally comfortable with that. Well, it's coming back to that solid block of the Land Cruiser investor, isn't it? Rather it than is. looking at the bright, shiny things, geez, I could turn this hundred grand into a million dollars in 12 months time. Um, a lot of the time it's not doable for 99% of us in the world um, and how that may play out for you. But I think looking at the different types of investments we can do as farmers, there's plenty of options out there um, and do your own research within that um, to see what sort of capacity or way of working that you're doing it. But to wrap this process up, we've had seven steps. We've had six so far. What's the seventh one and why is this one so important to sort of sort of encompasses what we've all talked about today. Absolutely. This is the most, or this is the second most important because number number one is the most, which is know your why. The last one is bloody do it, like implement. The amount of people that go through some of the process and, and talk about it for years and then never do anything, you're never going to get anywhere unless you implement it. Now, do you have to go and invest thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars? I mean, these days you can invest with like a, like a $1,000 and $100 a month you can put in. So find out what you want to do and actually do it regularly review it and be consistent okay most of the value of me as a financial advisor was making sure people did what they were supposed to do 
regularly reviewing it. So ringing them up and saying, you know, Jack, mate, six months has gone by, 12 months has gone by, come in, we need to review this thing and then making sure you're consistent. So remember we talked about that consistent with your time, consistent with re-evaluating your target, consistently re-evaluate your risk tolerance, consistently revalue your structure, consistently revalue your, uh, re-evaluate your investment options, um, and then how much you're adding to that investment or how much you're paying off. So if you've taken on half a million dollars debt to buy the investment property, you say 10 grand a year is going to be paid off, just try and make it happen. And if you implement regularly review and you're consistent, that's where the rocket fuel is. So reviewing it, it's not really just coming back to saying it's still a good investment, a bad investment. It's turned into a bad one now. But it's actually going through that step process and making sure being accountable to your why and has that reach through right through your investment sort of portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I this is the this is the process I'd follow with clients every year. I wouldn't do it in front of them, but I'd sit down with a file and I'd go back and say, okay, well, why is Jack doing this? You know, and then reiterating to you saying, Jack, you know, you want to retire your mum and dad off the farm and, and have the opportunity to take over and you want to make sure mum and dad are right. Let's review, let's make sure that's still strong in your head. I'd recalculate the targets. I'd go through and say, okay, your target's this, what's our gap? Um, capacity, I'd, I'd come back and I'd say, mate, we need to actually work out, you're putting $100 a month in, should we make it 120 this year? Yeah. You know, you'd review that. And then your risk tolerance. Hey, Jack, we've been doing this for four or five years. How do you feel about it? Should we be a little bit more aggressive? You know, we're really conservative. Should we be a bit more aggressive? Do you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, Ben, I do or I don't. And then the structure, has something changed? You know, you had a small amount of money and you only invested two grand and you put it in your own name for simplicity. Should Now there's a hundred grand there. Should we be putting it in a super fund or should we be putting it into a company or a trust or some other vehicle, if that makes sense? And then all of a sudden it can be reviewed. You know, you, you wanted to go into the amount of people that had come into me and they'd say, I want to do some direct share trading, Ben. Yep. Fantastic. And so they had a hundred grand or a million dollars. You know, I had one from um, Cloncurry and they said, we've got a million bucks to invest that we've built up. I took 800, they took 200. I said, I'll invest the 800. Land crews are investing. We'll monitor it. We'll manage it. Um, it's never going to shoot the lights out, but it's strong, dependable and reliable and it'll get us to where we want to go. Okay. He went and took his direct shares, traded it for 12 months, took his 200 grand, dropped it to 180, came back and said, Ben, I don't want to do this anymore. And we rolled it into that portfolio. And that would happen all the time. So if you want to do it, do yeah. it. But yeah, we'd review that. And then what are we doing next year? Where are we going? And that's really important to review. And you can do that yourself, like sit down with the steps and go, you know, every year, sit down, do it in January with your wife or your husband or your partner and sit down and say, what the hell are we doing? Where are we going? And then redo it again. Coming back to your example of Clon Curry there, probably having that experience of losing the 20 grand, 200 grand down to 180, probably was a huge learning curve for them um, in seeing what their why was and how to get to that end goal as well. Do you think that played a part in improving their sort of, their going back to their risk tolerance, their capacity as well? A little bit. Um, it was it was a joint one. The husband was really aggressive and he wanted to buy and sell and trade. The wife didn't. So yep. that's why we went down that path. And secondly, is he thought he could do it really easily. Now, I'm not suggesting there's people out there that can't, Jack. I want to be really clear. Some people do this incredibly well. I know some farmers and grazers that trade shares un unbelievably far better than I could. But what he worked out was he was spending all his time. He was getting up in the morning, yep. watching the share market. And if the share market went up or the share market went down, that determined how he enjoyed his day. So he'd get up in the morning and see the markets had gone down and he'd see his shares had gone down. And he'd like, oh, it's a shit of a day today, isn't it? And his wife was saying, you've got to stop looking at your share portfolio. She goes, otherwise I don't want to spend any time with you. Um, and he was just, he became, it was like an emotional roller coaster every day. Whereas the investments we put in set, and not a set and forget, but you'd invest them and just say, look, they're going to go up and down. Let's just look at them every six months. Um, and they just got on with life. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to sit there every morning looking at the market and going, where's my money gone? Where's it gone up and down? If you do it right, you don't have to worry about that. Exactly. And that's probably a hurdle, obstacle for everyone out there. The husband and wife team is all too common within farming family operations. Um, and their risk tolerance is probably going to differ. So probably meeting in the middle um, as they experienced as well was probably going to bring them back down to earth and go, well, this is probably the best avenue. We'll roll that money over into what Ben's doing. Um, and that coming back to that land cruiser approach, that great analogy that you've come up with um, 
and just bolstering what you're doing as an investor, as a farmer as well. Yeah, and look, usually I can tell you this, Jack, that I would say 90 to 95% of people that would come to me, it would be the the female that would approach me for advice to come and see me. It would very rarely be the husband. And generally I'd always laugh and say the husband's dragged in kicking and screaming. And it, it was- the best investor in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, but you know, they, they're busy. They got they got stuff to do. They don't want to think about this, what I call beyond the farm stuff. I mean, for a lot of this is a bad, a bad paradigm, but a lot of people think the, you know, there's a brown snake in the in the office and they don't want to come in there. So this is really outside their area of expertise. And so it it takes time to get comfortable. And when you walk in and you see a financial advisor, I mean, my dad says. When I, when I first finished uni and I got out and got a job as a financial advisor, he's going, oh, that's the end of the world. You're a bloody shiny bum now sitting on, sitting on a seat all day. What would you know? And so it takes time to trust the people that you get advice from, whether it be your accountant, your lawyer, your banker, your financial advisor. So that's part of the risk tolerance as well is knowing the people that are helping you, whether they're sincere, so they want the best for you, whether they're competent and whether they're reliable, because that's trust. You need trust, Jack. And people think trust is about honesty, okay? But it's not. Trust is about, I'll say it again, competence, so they can do their job, reliable, they'll do what they damn say they will, and they've got to be sincere. They care about you. And so you've got to make sure you figure that out because a lot of people get caught with financial advisors and accounts where they go, well, you know, that, that Ben guy, he's just a good bloke. And I might not be competent or I might not be sincere or they're really smart. So I just take what they say as gospel. You've got to figure that out. And that takes time. And that's why a lot of advisors, financial advisors, when I used to go to conferences, they didn't want to deal with farmers and grazers because they'd say they're too hard to deal with. They don't trust you. And I'm like, no, but if you're dependable and reliable and you do do what's trustworthy, I said, they're, they're fantastic to people to work with and they have a massive need. Farmers have a far bigger need for financial advice probably than anyone else because they don't get super. If you're a teacher, if you're a, a plumber or you're, you're working for someone in any way, shape or form, you get superannuation, you buy a house, you pay it off. Um, they don't have the issues that farmers and grazers had. So, that, that, so more than anyone, farmers and grazers need good quality strategic advice and investing is just a very small, or off-farm investing is just a really small component of success. But also a very important one to get right in the initial stages. Maybe go off and have your learning curve, um, the piece that you learn from, and then after that, take that knowledge into your investing approach, find your why, and actually go through um, these seven steps. I'd be interested if anyone actually wrote these down. I'll put them in the show notes just so people can have a deeper look into what it is and actually maybe take it back to their family table and see what happens for them. Um, the outcomes, whether they want to start now, implement it now, as you said, um, and go through the processes. But Ben, out of this whole episode today, breaking it down into the seven steps, what would be the one piece of farms advice you'd like the listeners to take away for today? Well, I think there's, there's two points to it, and it's probably what we've already touched on, uh, Jack, is that finding out your why. I bang on about that all the time. That's the number one. F- figure out the reason for doing it. Otherwise, you will fail because as soon as it gets hard, if you don't have a strong why, you're not going to do it. So I think that's number one. And the second part of, of it is, is I learned years ago, I heard, heard a, someone say to me, they said, Ben, the secret to success is not always how, it's quite often who. And so I ran my business on the model of who, not how. So if I had a problem, who do I need to go speak to to help me rather than how do I do it myself? So there's a large number of people out there that will be able to do it themselves. They'll know, want to know the how. But if you don't feel confident enough, you need to invest a large portion of the time finding your right who. Who's the person I can get to help? Now, that might be a financial advisor. It could be your accountant, whatever it is. But you need to find that right who. Precisely. I think... Um, from this episode, the king of analogies, Ben Law, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your expertise over those 20 years, going over London and coming back. I think it's all the more valuable, um, your experiences and bringing them back into Australian agriculture and even helping out the farmers um, on the back end of this podcast, the listenership, but also through your podcast, The Financial Bloke. It's great to have you on The Financial Bloke. Ben, thank you very much. Appreciate it, Jack. Thanks very much.
So for anyone that's listened to this, how can we get in touch with you, Ben, or where can we listen more of you? Yeah, perfect. Um, so I just go to the website, which is www.thethefinancialbloke.com.au. That's the best place to find anything there. The podcast is on there. I write a column for the Queensland Country Life as well. Um, and I've got these seven steps. If anyone wants to grab it as well, Jack, it's just thefinancialbloke.com.au forward slash seven steps, the number seven. Um, and if you go into Facebook at The Financial Bloke, um, you can find me there. But all those links, et cetera, are on the uh, website. And if anyone's got any questions, drop me an email, send me a message. And if you enjoyed this or want to dig into it more, reach out to Jack and, and let us know what you'd like to know more. And also, if you disagree, yell out. I'm always happy to have a conversation with someone about it. Absolutely. The topic and episode doesn't stop there. We'll check that seven steps uh, link into the show notes. So click down wherever you are listening to and you'll be able to find the seven steps that Ben's gone across for today. Well, ben, thank you very much for joining us in the studio today. I appreciate that, Jack. Thanks very much. You can't actually see what I'm wearing for every conversation, but be sure I'm wearing a Farms of Ice Green, as I like to call it, kindly supplied by Stockman & Co. By the farmers for the land. Jason team over there do a stellar job, so check them out at stockmanandco.com. Get some quality work shirts, footy shorts, hats and more for this summer. Make sure you use the discount code that they supply just for Farms of Ice listeners. Farms of Ice, 10. Make sure you get into it. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice podcast. It is produced by Advert Your Eyes Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before and spread the Farms Advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farms Advice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country for Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.